Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. T-minus 37 seconds. Fight with growing equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. My name is Ryan Treasure. Uh, Jeff Spinard, our CEO, is out in the world uh, taking it over, you know, getting us uh, new business, drumming up new radio shows, sponsorship opportunities, and all that stuff. So he's not with us today, uh, but I expect him to be joining us shortly. Uh, we have a great show uh, for you guys lined up today. Uh, as you know, we always try to bring you uh, guests and people, uh, thought leaders, game changers, uh, you know, talk about the things that are, are important to everybody in today's society. Uh, and so today we have a topic uh, we want to discuss uh, around cybersecurity, because as you know, uh, getting your computer hacked and all of your stuff stolen away from you is probably uh, one of one of two or three extremely life-altering events, uh, especially as we all are so uh, heavily dependent upon our digital footprints, our, our laptops, our phones, uh, you know, our data in the cloud, uh, all of those types of things. So we're going to talk to uh, Logan Kipp, who serves as the technical architect for SiteLock, focusing on technical integrations with the company's strategic partners. Logan has over 10 years of experience in the website hosting and security technology field, including four years at SiteLock's lead security analyst. Prior to joining the SiteLock team, Logan spent three years as a security consultant in the mass market website hosting space. Logan holds certifications in penetration testing and information security. Logan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. You know, uh, finding your frequency, the show is, you know, kind of about, you know, where, where you, where you found your passion, right? Where you, you know, you got to that moment where you went, aha, I have found my frequency. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to explore. So, you know, before we get into the rampant issue of cybersecurity and, you know, uh, uh, the issues with uh, people's data and GDPR and, you know, any of those types of things, let's step back and let's learn a little bit about, you know, you, Logan. Let's let's find out, you know, where did you come from? What what made you decide to follow down the path of, of security? Oh, goodness. So <laughs> I'd say I've, I've always been a tinkerer. Um, so I'm, I'm the kid at home that took his dad's drill apart. Uh, and he, he came home because I couldn't quite get it back together in time, right? Um, taking all these little tools apart to find out how they work. And yeah. I've kind of applied that same approach towards uh, computers because to me they're just uh, advanced machines with a bunch of switches in them. Uh, taking things apart, seeing how these various command works, uh, commands work. Uh, back in the old uh, Apple IIe Unix environment, uh, <laughs> I used to restart the computer rapidly until it would give you that strange prompt. I called it missile codes. Uh, it would just scroll a bunch of text through the screen, thought it was super cool. But then I wanted to know how that worked and why. Yeah. And that's what really turned me on to uh, cybersecurity. I found that uh, once you know how something works, you can see how you can break it. Uh, and then once you know how it can break, it's a great opportunity to address those flaws. Yeah. And uh, for me, that was, that was uh, a, a very simple concept. So it was easy to fall into this, this category of what would later be called cybersecurity. 
Um, early on, they all just called it hacking, right? <laughs> um, but now we, we've we've put a little bit more of an elegant title to it, something a little less scary. Uh, now that folks realize there's there's people on that can be on their team too mm-hmm. to address these uh, ahead of time. So that's that's kind of how I got into this. Um, just fell into um, a role in a call center a while back, and then from there on, I, I decided, you know, I, I I love this job, but I know I can do a lot more. Uh, I actually initially worked uh, in the call center of a, a hosting company, and uh, they were uh, – it, it was a very beneficial role for me because they offered a lot of free education mm-hmm. internally. I took every single course they offered oh, uh, just to hone my knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. I found that I was super interested, once again, in uh, breaking things and <laughs> figuring out how they tick so that uh, we could make them stronger. And, and then, of course, SiteLock expanded – out into uh, Arizona, and I joined the team very early in uh, 2012 when they had just launched that uh, Arizona office. And Great. Oh, boy, seven years later, here, here we are. are. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, uh, much like yourself, um, that's kind of how I was growing up. Uh, I, I've always been into music, so for me it was like uh, I bought a synthesizer and took it apart, right, and I figured out, oh, how can I make this make different sounds? Uh, you know, so fun stuff like that. And, yeah, I got caught many a times taking stuff apart, and my dad's like, what are you doing? Oops. Why are you? Uh, I'm like, Dad, trust me, it'll be good. I just need another hour, right? I'll get it back together. But, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I love learning like that, you know, just uh, kind of trial and error and kind of seeing how stuff works. It's definitely fun. I, I do a lot of that with regression testing for websites, right? Uh, you're like, okay, well, does it work? Does it not work? Okay, well, let's throw 10,000 users at it and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, it's always fun to break stuff, right? Yeah, how do we break this now? <laughs> yeah. This is a cool site. How do we break it? Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, so you guys have been here. Um, are, you, are you from Phoenix or from the Arizona area? How long have you been in the Valley? More or less. Uh, I'm originally from Iowa, okay. although uh, I basically grew up here, here in the Valley. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, here. Okay, yeah, so, where? Which uh, one? Well, I went to a couple of high schools. Uh, I'm, I'm a native, high. by the way. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm a native. Mesquite and Gilbert okay, great. Um, would be the, the one that everyone knows. I okay. also attended a charter at one point, uh, nice. smaller. Not sure they're still around. Uh, uh, I think it's Pinnacle. Okay, yeah. I, I grew up in the West Valley, so I went to uh, Washington High School in the standard Phoenix Union High School District. And, uh, yeah, I've been here for 39 years of my life. Oh, well, you got me beat. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So tell us a little bit, you know, um, you know about site lock first, and then we can talk about you know just I think the 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 discussion around cybersecurity and kind of what's going on in the space. Um, you know, people create businesses and and create uh, uh, solutions for a reason. They want to fix something. They want to make something better. So, what what solution is site lock bringing to the table to help people be more secure online? Well, in a single term, website security. Um, our mission, we, we all got together and said, what, what is the mission here? And the mission is to secure every website on the Internet. And now it's, it's the job of uh, folks like me and teams like mine to figure out what that means technically. How do we do that? How do we get there? You know, the marketing initiatives aside and, and you know, the, the strategic partnerships are important. There's the technical aspect of how do we hook in with all of these systems to make this work, to make it tick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a big part of what I do is, is make sure that all the systems talk to each other. Um, so what we do is we have a, a web application firewall and a content delivery network to prevent attacks as well as speed up websites. So it's, it's a really big deal because everyone expects websites to be extremely responsive <laughs> and everyone expects these sites to be very secure. Yeah, that's, that's where your CDN comes in handy, it, right? It, exactly. And then the web application firewall mm-hmm. uh, serves that preventative measure. 
Uh, on the other end of things, uh, we perform uh, malware uh, detection and remediation services on an automated basis. Uh, as well as so, so let's talk about that a little yep. bit. When you say malware remediation, and let me give an example. Um, I had an I had I had an uh, an instance several years ago where uh, I was working on a website, and uh, all of a sudden I go to a page, and I'm like, "This doesn't look right. What is going on here?" And it was like flooded with these Chinese ads for clothes, right? Mm. And so we figured out Cheap that clothes. yeah, somehow somebody had uh, installed some code uh, in, into the application to display all of these ads, thus you know making the page, uh, 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 you know, not the page is supposed to be. Um, and so that we had to do something similar. We had to go and have our all of our code scanned uh, to look for the malware, the malicious code that was in in the system. So is that similar to like what your malware scanning tool does? So that's it right there. Aside from being able to get some very cheap clothes, potentially, <laughs> uh, assuming your order would actually be fulfilled if you clicked anything there, um, which it likely would not. Um, yeah, what, what it we might do, give me a virus, too, uh, cl yeah, clicking no, on that. Chances are very good that yeah. you're going to be getting a virus, yeah. Nice drive-by download. <laughs> um, so that's one of the things we do. Traditionally, that's been a very long, drawn-out process where uh, someone gets it's popped, you know, their website gets hacked. Um, now we've got to figure out uh, how did this all happen? How do we get, get them out of our systems? Yep. That, that could be weeks uh, worth of work. Um, so what we've done is we've taken some very high-end technology and kind of democratized it. Um, we make it so that you're able to address these issues on an automated basis. So rather than taking days, weeks, depending on your turnaround time, we can have a remediation plan uh, in place and executed in a matter of minutes. Uh, and that's that's the beauty of automation these days. Yeah, are you guys um, leveraging any of the technologies like machine learning or artificial intelligence to um, add uh, another layer of um, you know like I guess quickness to your application? Absolutely. And so machine learning, uh, it, there's a lot of different lenses you can look through on that. Uh, we do deploy a number of technologies that would qualify as machine learning. Mm -hmm. um, there's what folks used to call machine learning, it's just kind of heuristic algorithms and so on, which sort of qualifies. And then there's the kind of new age definition of what is machine learning, uh, you know, uh, feature-based analysis um, and, and so on, uh, supervised learning, unsupervised mm -hmm. learning. Uh, primarily, we, we do deploy a uh, very robust uh, set of instructions, uh, that, to put it simply, um, some technologies that deploy supervised learning in our uh, mission to identify brand new malware. Okay, yeah. The old way of doing things, um, which is kind of looking for what you already know, is very performant. That's the fast way to do it. Uh, machine learning is actually, in some ways, very slow. Um, but when you get a large enough data set, it becomes very, very fast. Right. We secure over 12 million websites worldwide. So with such a large data set, it does become very performant. We're able to look through a lot of things very quickly, looking for similarities right. between yeah, websites. so if you have you know one customer who's dealt with problem A, B, and C, then you've logged that information, and you're now going, exactly. okay, um, I have use cases across like you know five thousand different variables that I can apply to you know any one other site that may have some malicious activity happen, and you know one's learning from the other one. So as something new pops up on one side, you're able to address that with a different customer in the event that they get something similar, right? Exactly, exactly. There's that network effect. Yeah, uh, I once ran the calculation, and this was. Long ago, a couple of years ago, and I think we calculated 13.4 duo vigintillion. <laughs> See, it's hard to get that word out. It I is. had to Google that. Um, <laughs> but so many different variations mm -hmm. that we're looking for. And that's where machine learning comes into play, uh, is being able to look at these large, large data sets in a, in a very quick and performant manner. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm always so impressed on how different companies are leveraging, you know, these newer technologies. Uh, I had, I had, uh, I have an interview that's going to be releasing tomorrow with a guy who created an AI engine to, uh, uh, to, to diagnose uh, dermatological issues. Right. And he, he shows me this app and like you take a, you know, Oh, I don't know what this is on my skin. Boop. You take a picture of it. It loads it in and the same thing, right? He's got all of these data sets in there. And in a matter of 60 seconds or less, it's able to give you a 90, 95% accurate diagnosis of what your skin condition is all based yeah. off of, you know, machine learning. And I was just like, wow, it's amazing. So many implications, you know? Yeah. The, and, and that's, that's another thing that the implications, there's a lot of great things we're doing here, like, you know, looking at uh, uh, potentially an early diagnosis of a, a skin condition, yep. right? Yep. Or uh, analyzing traffic flows throughout a city. I mean, there's huge benefits to everyone for that. And then there's, uh, you know, a few places where that can go astray. So uh, with you guys being, you know, so security heavy, were you guys extremely happy when, you know, Google and the rest of the, you know, large sites out there were started pushing the SSL everywhere initiative? Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's huge. I mean, think about it. People don't realize, they've never realized that they're just throwing data out there. As you're speaking to these websites through your computer, you're, you're basically speaking very loudly in a room full of every other internet user. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good analogy. Anyone who's listening, they can pick that right up. Um, that's why SSL is so important. You encrypt right. that, so it just sounds like another language. Uh, can't be interpreted. Yeah, and that's why I really like CDN stuff too. You know, um, especially for like file delivery. For us, we do a lot of media distribution of MP3 files and video files and all of that. And you know. Uh, it, it, it's always been so good because you're like, oh, great. Well, you know, I can get somebody who latches onto the CDN file feed or something and they're requesting, you know, 20,000 get requests in a couple of seconds for something. Whereas, you know, like if somebody did that on your website to an image, my website's going to go, something, something's not right. Right. Uh, and so having those different kind of layers intertwined in your application, I think really are helpful for, uh, uh, you know, for security and for delivery, as you said, because I do think consumers are, you know, that's what they want when they go online. They're like, you know, I want want to see your trust wave certification on your checkout, mm -hmm. you know, when, when you, when you check out for e-commerce, I want to know that, you know, this page is going to load in five seconds or less and, you know, know that my information isn't going to be stolen or, you know, used for robo calls from India. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You kind of hit the nail on the head there. Uh, all those different layers. Uh, you know, the big thing with a CDN is, uh, let's say you're hosted here in Phoenix, a great hosting presence here in the Valley. Um, well, you, you broadcast worldwide more mm -hmm. or less. Yeah. Um, so, let's say you get a, someone who's over in the United Kingdom, they want to access the content. Well, that could be very sluggish, having to connect through uh, such a large geography. Right. Uh, so many different hops, as they call them. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the benefits of a content delivery network is pushing that content out, uh, A, geographically closer, and B, delivering it in a, uh, a format that is more easy to consume for the the end computer. Right. Um, so, for example, we have a network of data centers, uh, over 40 of them worldwide, that are strategically located uh, kind of on top of the backbones of the internet to ensure we're able to bring that content physically closer, but also kind of compress it and, and fit all the pieces together yep. so it's in a neater, smaller package. Yeah, no, and we do that with everything we deliver, right? We'll, we'll take, a, you know, a, a extremely high bitrate version of a piece of audio, right, and uh, transcode that down to a multi-bitrate version so that way then it's like, oh, you're consuming it on your phone, we're going to give you one version versus, uh, oh, if it's a video and, oh, yeah, you want to go 1080p or 4K because you're watching it at home on your big screen? Well, then you can choose that option and, and, and stream that way. So, yeah, it's definitely been helpful and, you know, having the 
different nodes that are closer to the delivery points have been have been great. Um, let's 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 shift around, right? I want to I want our listeners to walk away with you know something that they can uh, maybe apply to their own their own personal experiences. And so I have a couple of examples of uh, stuff that I've recently witnessed, right? Where um, are what I consider cybersecurity issues, mm-hmm. um, you know. People get a lot of thing uh, with this thing that's like ghosting of emails, right? Where um, you'll get an email in your inbox, and it's from like someone you know. It says their name in it, uh, but the email address from is some other email address. Uh, you know, and so get a lot of those, and I think those are some of the things I think that standard everyday folks are dealing with, um, and so. With those types of attacks, with email ghosting and some of those things, um, what, what, what would you tell somebody to kind of get started on being able to secure themselves a little bit more to stop that from happening? Well, first of all, anytime you, you receive an email from someone, you're going to want to see if it looks a little fishy. You know, <laughs> Everyone. Um, that's kind of a given now. I'm glad we're that far. That um, was a big step, surprisingly. Um, but when you receive an email from someone, it's always good to, uh, if it's not displaying the full email address there in the uh, sender, just hit that little arrow, expand that, make sure that is the address that you think it is. Uh, some of the things that uh, you can uh, do to help secure your email service, uh, and this is more to the email administrators, mm-hmm. so this might be something you talk to your service provider about, is ensuring that they have you know, a sender policy framework in place, um, ensure that they are uh, performing uh, reverse DNS checks against uh, that. Yeah, and those would be like proper SPF records, right, for in, right. in your DNS and all those types of things. That's a great example. Yeah. Now, nowadays, most folks are doing that. Uh, so it's more along the lines of what we're looking at now is more along the lines of uh, content filtering. Okay. Yeah. And if you're using like Gmail, Yahoo, one of those big providers like that, um, they, they're deploying a number of learning algorithms that'll assist with uh, kind of identifying those problem areas. So when you do get spam, make sure you are marking it as spam. That teaches that, that engine how to better deal with that in the, in the future mm-hmm. and also protect your peers. That is the other users of the service. Um, but there's, uh, in addition to that, just don't click links randomly, okay? Now, if Jerry from work is uh, sending you a, a funny cat pic and you notice it's, oh, at a .ru domain name, that, that's, that's a little suspect. Maybe don't click that. You get something like that, maybe just shoot, shoot Jerry a text. Right. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, did you just send me this? Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or um, someone claiming to be your, your cousin and so, suddenly uh, sending you all these deals for Michael Kors bags. Okay. That's a little little yeah. suspect. I, I got a word of warning. If anybody ever emails you and says, hey, send me uh, uh, iTunes gift cards, mm-hmm. right? That's the biggest red flag because I've, a lot of these scams, phone versions, email versions, um, you know, they, they are getting you to send them iTunes gift cards. Uh, yeah. And it's the funniest thing. I got one of those emails and I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to email them back. Right. And so I, I started having a conversation with whoever it was. Oh, hey, how many of those gift cards did you need again? I still have to go to the store. I'm really busy today. Um, how many do you need and where do I need to send them? Right. And then they, oh, yeah, thanks. I'm glad you got back to me like they were my friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, can sometimes have a little bit of fun with some of those people that are trying to ghost the emails. Uh, Absolutely. Word <laughs> of caution, though. Um, it, a lot of people, you see this on YouTube now a lot. Folks having funds with, fun with telemarketers, with, with these, these scammers over the email and so on. Word of caution there. Um, 
you may not want to make yourself that interesting, right? Because they may find other ways to, uh, uh, you know, toil with your, your internet presence. Ah, yeah, that, that, that is a great point. So basically don't poke the bear. Yeah, don't poke <laughs> the bear. You don't know what they're capable of. They got as far as this, so maybe they have some knowledge. I always advise folks, just ignore them, throw them away. Right. Uh, take no action. It's tempting to, to reach out, say something sarcastic, and, and, and get a nice email chain started so you can uh, maybe make a good YouTube video about it, which was... <laughs> Highly, highly entertaining, but uh, what we don't see is that uh, maybe after that call, uh, your scammer goes and uh, checks some of those online databases to see if they can, you know, jump into one of your email accounts that was uh, that you use an outdated password on that was breached ten years ago or whatnot. Yeah, no, that is a good point. I'm going to have to maybe uh, internalize that for myself a little bit and <laughs> stop trying to have so much fun with those guys that try to email or, or gals, whatever they are. You know, you know, you never know who's you on the other know. end of the email. Nigerian prince is <laughs> royalty, so show some respect. <laughs> That's great. You know, so as you as you work through uh, different uh, problems with your customers and and you look at those sites, um, is there is there any one or two things maybe that just you know shine a bright light in your eyes of uh, types of uh, cybersecurity issues or attacks that people really need to, you know, focus on, you know, giving them a, a place to start if, you know, if you if you were a company owner, a new site owner, and you're trying to spin up a new blog or a new whatever, you know, what kind of advice would you give them to make sure that, you know, they stay on top of uh, security for their sites? Oh, goodness. There's two things I usually focus on. I used to give a talk on this uh, uh, at various word camps. Uh, there's, there's a bit of software out there called WordPress. It's extremely pop popular. It's the number one content management system in the world right now. Uh, and it's, it's open source. So a lot of people are using that. Um, oh. And so what we see is uh, what, what, now that we've lowered the barrier for entry to owning and maintaining a website, that's excellent. Everyone's out on the web and, and communicating. But we need to take pause and uh, regularly, routinely uh, ensure that we're running up-to-date software. That's number one. Uh, and then two, do not establish a false sense of security. One of the uh, biggest uh, failure points that I've seen is this concept, this misconception floating around that uh, I have a website out there, my hosting provider is doing all this for me. They're, they, they're great, they're doing all this security. Um, and, th and that's true. These big hosting providers, they're doing a lot of things for security to protect their network, right. their yeah. infrastructure. But what what is kind of overlooked all too often is that when you are getting a hosting space, you're you're basically you're renting an apartment. Um, you are given the keys. They show you where it's at. They show you how everything works, and then that's yours. You're on your own. Now you go in there and you start opening the windows and unlocking things, uh, which is kind of the equivalent to installing a bunch of applications to the to the hosting environment. Those are changes you made. So maybe the box that you live in there, the apartment was secure, it's got its locks, it's got its, its windows that shut. Um, but if you go in there and you start changing things, they're not responsible for securing those changes that you've made, Right. those additional vulnerabilities. Uh, I like to use the analogy of this, this really cool doggy door product. <laughs> so uh, I saw this on TV once and I thought that was perfect. It's this insert for your sliding door where you can put a, it's like a doggy door insert for your sliding door so your dog can come in and out without having to cut a hole in your wall. That's awesome. But 
you know, the, the things made out of, you know, aluminum and plastic and yeah. so on. So the, the question you have to ask yourself is what are the security implications? Well, yeah, you make your sliding glass door, which is already probably the least secure door in your house anyways, it's even, even more, uh, even more insecure. See, there we go. Because then uh, potentially I'm not uh, alluding to uh, alluding that the, the doggy doors maybe are an insecure product. But um, if you think about it. You kick that in, you're in, right? But that's a change you made to the environment, to the perimeter of your environment that potentially may have security implications. And, and folks, don't take that into consideration. The web applications you installed to your environment or your responsibility to secure in most cases. Um, so that, and that's why it's important to know what you're dealing with. It's important to reach out to a trusted security advisor mm -hmm. and get so that knowledge. Are there, any, are there any hosting companies that you know of? Um, you know, and obviously no one, no, no hosting company is paying us to say, hey, we think you're cool or anything like that. I'm gonna put that out there now because um, we, you know, we use a specific hosting provider. We are paying for a service. Uh, they don't, you know, give us any money or anything like that to promote their product on our show or anything like that. Um, but is there, are there hosting providers that you know that do provide really good security, you know, out of the box that somebody would maybe look at as a starting place? Absolutely. There are a number. Uh, we, we have uh, somewhere in the range of 300 strategic partners at this point, um, many of which are hosting providers. Mm -hmm. Some of those are providing what is called a managed security yep. Uh, hosting package. So that's what I would be looking for if that's, you know, the right fit for you. You're going to have a higher price point than, <laughs> say, your mass market shared Much hosting higher. environment. Right. Yeah, it's, it's significantly higher. higher. Um, this is not going to be your 3 to $7 a month hosting plan. This is... No. You're talking uh, usually in the, in the hundred, uh, the three-digit range. Yeah, well, and again, it depends on your environment and your and your traffic as well in that in that realm. Because um, if you're going VM and virtual, right, you can get some pretty good lowered prices. But if you want some, you know, high performance, right, you want a Porsche under the, you know, what's under the hood of a Porsche for your hosting provider, then um, you know you might look at a dedicated environment for something like that to get that performance, and then you really start getting into some some pricier options. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As soon as you crank up the horsepower, I love the analogy, you're definitely increasing the cost. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so for those of you guys, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to do a plug just because I've worked with this company for 15 years. Uh, Rackspace uh, is, is, is our hosting provider for our domain and our content. And we, we leverage one of those, um, you know, wholly managed products through them where they're managing, you know, patching and updates of the servers and Sophos antivirus and, you know, all of the, the those types of things on the servers, but there's one thing that they don't do, even in that managed respect, and you're exactly right. Uh, when we produce a new application that goes onto that server and we denote what the uh, rules are for that application's access to the World Wide Web, um, that then becomes our responsibility. And I think um, that's where your guys' service could come in very handy for somebody, correct? Absolutely. And we love Rackspace as well. And uh, you're, you're completely correct. Um, it's important that you're also running your own independent analysis, especially... Uh, when you get to the size that that your group is, it's it's that's pretty darn substantial. Right. Uh, you're 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 painting a target on your on your uh, on yourselves there, um, just because your traffic is so high at this point that if someone were to uh, you know commandeer that traffic point somewhere else, that's very high value. Correct. Um, so yeah, running your own analysis. One approach would be a static analysis uh, to ensure that your code is up to snuff. You could do that 
pre-production, that is before you uh, upload it to the to the live environment. Yep, and you're local. Yep. Exactly. To ensure that you're able to uh, locate any potential vulnerabilities and then remediate them prior to deployment. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely, you know, uh, hopefully best practice for everybody. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> doing that. We call that a secure development life cycle, and that's, that's something that we uh, you know, holistically recommend. Awesome. Well, let's let's kind of talk about you know cybersecurity as a whole you know you know uh, globally we you know we've talked about some stuff that users can do if they're building a site and some of those kinds of things but you know cybersecurity is a, a big problem globally you know you have people who that's their only job man I mean, you know like they're that they're all they're doing is like all right let me go find who's vulnerable so i can steal stuff from them and then i'll hold all that stuff hostage and then i'll send them an email saying hey you need to you know drop me some bitcoins at this uh you know this bitcoin address and i'll release your data which I, which is funny i'm going to tell you a story i got an email uh I, I checked with Office 365 in Rackspace when I got the email. Like, I'm like, hey, you know, look at this email. Is it, you know, where, how did it come here? You know, first of all, I wanted them to take a look at it from a security perspective. And they're like, oh, no, you just got ghosted. Don't worry. It's it's BS. But it was really funny the approach that the person took. And they're like, hey, I want you to know that um, I have video of you uh, on uh, risky websites uh, and I, I, I have access to all of your emails, all of your this, all of your everything. And uh, I'm going to go email all of these pictures and videos that I have of you surfing the web on these sites that you wouldn't want anybody to know that you were on. And then in quotation marks, they say, and you've got good taste, which was I thought was really funny. Uh, and then it's like, uh, and then you can just you pay me $2,000 in bitcoins and I'll, I'll, I'll make it go away. So I'm like, wow, this is really weird. In my head, I'm like, well, I don't really look at that stuff anyway, so please feel free to send out whatever you want because <laughs> I don't care. I feel like I, I figure like everything I do on my phone is public anyways, and so you be careful what you do, right? Number one, absolutely. Uh, and so I just thought it was funny, and then I did. I, I sent it over to Rackspace and the Office three sixty five team at Microsoft, and you know they're like, oh yeah, no, this is just don't worry about it. It was really funny, but that was just one instance of you know some things that people deal with on a daily basis with the cybersecurity world and. Uh, that brings up a great point. My best friend, actually, out in Dallas, he he had the he received the same campaign. <laughs> um, so it was the same thing. You have good taste, and uh, he he's a, a very intelligent guy. He works in, in technology as well. Um, and you know, we replied to the guy. Basically, said, yeah, you know, go fly a kite. Um, but then the guy came back and said, hey, you know, he replied from what appeared to be his own email address. Yeah, whereas the first one came from, like, your email address. Right, right. right. Where, yeah, it said his name, and then, you know, he's, he's uh, uh, got all these accounts for him that he's rotating through, mm -hmm. and then he sent him his own passwords. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is your passwords have probably been breached at some point. Um, you're using a large provider, large email provider. There was the, uh, uh, the Yahoo breach mm -hmm. um, in recent history here. That's still out there. You know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So don't be convinced when these people are reaching out and saying, hey, I've got your stuff. I have you on video. Here's proof. I'm in your email address. Here are some of your passwords. That stuff's out there. Uh, they they most likely do not have a video of of you doing whatever. Yeah, and the pa like when they sent me the passwords and to like verify it, right? It was passwords that I had used before, exactly. But they weren't like my current passwords. And you know, that's exactly right. If you change follow, passwords. There we go. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now we're moving away from that ninety day rule, but here here's the new rule, uh, and that is 
If there's a breach, change all your passwords. Uh, personally, uh, I change them at least once a year, even though the 90-day rule's gone away. Um, and I personally use a password vault service. I, I highly recommend that to everyone. I, I don't have a particular one that I prefer. I know a couple of big names are like uh, LastPass, KeePass. Um, th those are some great services. I've used them both. Uh, but those are just examples. Find one that fits your needs and, and just use it. Yeah, some of those services I thought were cool too for the like the password vaults. You can also um, get a password vault that also contains like your cryptocurrency wallet all in one fell. I've seen that. You know, swoop, which I thought was really cool. That's really cool and convenient. I, I'm As a security guy, I get a little spooked when so much data is in one place. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it took me a long time to warm up to the vault concept, but <laughs> yeah, I'm there because, you know, it, as you should be, as everyone should be, using different passwords for every single gateway, every sim single website website. Your bank should be one password that's different from your darn Facebook password. Agreed. You know, uh, they should all be different. And it's impossible to remember all those 180 character passwords, or I know no one uses that length, but uh, they should be strong, they should be long, and they should be stored in a vault. I like to use phrases. Phrases is good. For my passwords, you know, so like, Johnny needs milk from fries, exclamation point. <laughs> capitalizing, you know, alternating capitalization or yeah, capitalizing yeah. each word. Um, one one uh, cool trick I've, I've seen is uh, taking the first letter of a phrase you like uh, and, and making that into a password, like, the more you know, and take the, the first letter of each of those and then put you know, uh, some lucky number, some, some assortment, and then some symbols. It's, it's a good example. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my fun things to do with passwords is to take uh, a combination of letters and numbers, right? Because, you know, like a three looks like an E, right? Yeah. And so then you can, like, you know, if I'm going to do, like, health, I might do, like, H3, you know, A7, yeah. right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, they used to call that leet speak. Okay, uh, okay. Back when I was growing up as a, a little script kitty in the, in the, in the <laughs> late 90s there. Um, but the thing about that is, and, and I used to uh, joke about that a lot at that point, is um, people thought that that would confuse people who were cracking passwords more so. But they, what they don't realize is we've got these massive tables of alternating characters. So instead of E, there's a three. Instead of four, there's an A. Um, so it's and their uh, adversaries are wise to that. Right. Um, so I mean that's a great approach because it, it definitely will confuse, um, you know, crackers. But and then it's hackers that are cracking password uh, passwords. Um, but it's important to also introduce that that extra depth of complexity that you mentioned. You know, with a phrase. Yeah, yeah. The phrase has definitely been been good for me, and I've I've literally been a victim of complete identity theft, um, like 15 years ago, and it was one of those scenarios where. Um, Somebody had literally all of my information to the tune that they had a driver's license created with their picture oh, on it, with my name on it, and so it was a uh, it was my driver's license number and everything that was on this driver's license, but a picture of this other person who had stolen my identity, and you know they got a uh, speeding tickets and stuff, and I ended up getting my license revoked, and I had no idea any of this was going on. Had to go to court. It took me like two years to get everything situated. I mean, they had, you know, opened up credit card accounts with my social security number and I had like you know all this stuff and uh, uh, yeah it was it was definitely a nightmare and so I would I would urge everybody to you know follow some of these steps of changing your passwords as often as possible and you know not necessarily as often as possible but you know like you said what every year or so uh, because it if you get your identity stolen it sucks really bad it really does <laughs> I've been unfortunate enough to have it happen twice oh once while I was an infant, my parents had to deal with that. And then uh, again, when I was 19, um, so 
tell you a story of that. Uh, I get a call. Well, not a call. The IRS doesn't call you, everyone. Just let me let me clarify that. <laughs> no, they either send you a letter or just right. take the money directly out of your bank account. <laughs> Correct. The IRS does not call you. Um, so let me clarify. I received a letter from the IRS, and I gave them a call. And uh, it was concerning some uh, income I hadn't paid taxes on. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I thought I had this all squared away. In that conversation, they're like, hey, it's no big deal. This happens sometimes. We just need your, um, what is the, the tax form? The, the end of your tax form for so-and-so concrete company. And oh, yeah, the W-2 uh, pay W-2, stub. Yeah, that's yeah, it, yeah. yeah. We need your, your W-2 from this so-and-so concrete company. I was like, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, so apparently I had uh, 60 some odd thousand dollars in income I hadn't paid any taxes on working for a concrete company here in the valley. Um, so I informed them, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know who that is. I've never worked there. I, I work in, you know, uh, at the time I worked for a large hosting company. And uh, they're like, okay, um, prove it. Now, it's a, it is incredibly difficult to prove a ne- negative. As right. you'll find yep. out if you get put in this situation. So, you know, 18 months later, uh, <laughs> I didn't have to pay the taxes on the, uh, uh, the stolen identity there, of course. But it was a, it was a big, long process. Uh, there was, at one point, uh, there was con- some concern over uh, them reaching in and taking money out of my bank account, as yeah. you said, because I had it tied in with my uh, previous tax returns. Oh, yeah. I've... I've seen firsthand, not myself, but a friend of mine where, you know, there was uh, like a discrepancy, a letter that was supposed to go out to the IRS didn't make it to the person in like the proper time. It's like a snowstorm or whatever. And so it was like two days delayed. And that two days delay um, didn't fit the IRS's time frame. And they just said, oh, hey, thanks. We'll just take the $10,000 that you owe directly out of your bank account. And my friend woke up the next morning and he's like, called me. He's like, dude, I have like 12 bucks in my bank account. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. Ultimately, they were able to get it resolved and, you know, IRS gave him back, you know, he still owed like a thousand bucks or something, but that was what the letter was that they were waiting for. It was like they had gone through this dispute thing and they, you know, said, okay, we'll settle for this amount of money. He had the whole paperwork notarized and sent over. They didn't get it in time and took the whole thing. So it can definitely be not fun. Don't mess with the IRS. Yeah, do not, do, do not. <laughs> and uh, you get, get in that situation, make sure you do contact them. This stuff doesn't go away. No. If I were a responsible adult at 19, I would have been watching my credit report and seen this a mile away because uh, you know, there were other items. There was uh, credit cards opened. There were, um, I believe there was an application for a mortgage uh, <laughs> at one point, and I thought that was interesting. Um, so if I had been uh, keeping my finger on the pulse, so to speak, with my credit, I would have been able to spot this and uh, been able to uh, potentially put it on a freeze or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of cool services too. Like if you bank uh, you know, with most of these large banks, they'll give you like your FICO score each month so you can kind of keep an eye on some of that stuff. Yeah, I've noticed everyone's, a lot of folks are starting to do that. Yeah. Um, there's also, you know, some free services, some third-party services where you can uh, watch your credit uh, a little bit more closely. It may not be the same credit score that, say, a mortgage lender would see, but it gets you a really good ballpark. So let's go into an area I have a couple questions on, right, um, as we're kind of getting a little short on time for the interview here. But um, one thing I would want to ask is, you know, looking to the future is, you know, how is quantum computing going to impact cybersecurity? Oh, goodness. Uh, so that's an interesting one. I know one. that's a heavy one. <laughs> it's, that's super heavy. Uh, I was at DEF CON in Las Vegas um, where there was a presentation on a device called the Q-Wave, and that was one of those uh, brand new fancy uh, quantum computing machines. Um, and it's 
it is interesting, and I, I continue to say in, in, a, in a word, it is interesting. Um, it, there is the potential uh, for quantum computing to assist with uh, uh, locating and remediating threats uh, more so in real time, uh, perhaps before they reach destination if these were uh, deployed at network hubs, uh, internet network hubs. Um, however, I think we are still quite a distance off uh, from quantum computing helping us out in that area. Now, what about the, the flip side of that? Uh, as quantum computing becomes more powerful and more available, um, what does that do for the bad guys, though, too? If they could get their hands on it. Um, so we're fortunate that you, we know this is going to be super expensive out of the gate. So, you know, we'll have a little bit of a leg up in the, the on the corporate side. Um, but, yeah, once the bad guys get their hands on that, that's uh, it could be just as dangerous. Because um, in quantum computing, it's it's a completely different thought process. It's not a you know, single thread, you know, open connection, here we go. Uh, the Internet's going to take some time to catch up to those concepts. But quantum computing plus big data, that's scary, especially as we see treasure troves, treasure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I see what treasure, you did there. Hey. Hey. <laughs> uh, treasure troves of, of data uh, being just released over and over and over, passwords, personal information from social networks. They're going to be able to put that together. That's already happening now. Oh, yeah. But in the quantum age, which is around the corner, mm -hmm. that's something you're going to be able to uh, create personas. Yeah, it's like we went through, you know, the Industrial Revolution, and then, uh, you know, we had this whole dot-com era, which was like our technology uh, kind of revelation, revolution here in the United States, and we're, we're shifting from, a, you know, still, still moving high, faster today than we ever have on a technology front, but it seems like, you know, all of the new technologies are geared towards, you know, data. And it's, it, it's like whoever has the m most unique, best data at the end of the day is going to be the most powerful whatever, the, it, you know? It's true. It's unfortunately true. And it's super scary. Uh, most people, you know, they're very comfortable with social networks, very comfortable with these large organizations using their data because they're providing convenience and a nice service. Yeah. But folks don't realize they are the product. Yeah. Oh, hey, by the way, we're going to have a day where show me what you looked like 10 years ago and show me what you look like today. And we'll have half of the Facebook Internet world upload photos from back then and now. So now we can update our facial recognition software. It's yeah, exactly. You know, and I think people see some of that stuff and they're like, oh, this is fun. This is cool. I get to do this. But they don't like like, you know, from a technology perspective, think about what you're putting out there, because how is that that you're putting out there potentially being used later? And then, you know, 10 years from now, apply um, the ability to process that data from a quantum level in a split second. Who's and, it being sold to? Right. Uh, and and uh, I was in New York not too long ago. I walked into a, a regular grocery store, which was kind of hard to find in Manhattan, but there's a few. Um, <laughs> so I, I walked in, and uh, they had this screen next to the door, and it looked at me, and uh, it, it, it said, uh, welcome to so-and-so, right? And then the person walked in behind me, and it knew their name. Wow. It said, welcome so-and-so back to our grocery store. And I immediately flipped out. Um, now, clearly, I wasn't in their database. I, I wasn't from the area. But there's a lot of data being sold, and it's very, very transitory now. Uh, it's, it's being sold everywhere. It's being moved around. So something you gave to Facebook, the large social network, 
Yeah, and then they sold it to somebody else. They sell it, and then it's sold again and sold again. And then you walk into the store, and they have this technology called um, like geofencing, right? Um, and then you get an alert on your phone uh, from some store that you never signed up with. You know, you I, I had this happen to me the other day. I walked into like a furniture store. No, it was a, it was a, a local. Um, not a furniture store, an appliance store. And I walked in and I immediately got an alert on my phone. It was like, hey, we have these washers on sale. And I'm like, this is really weird because just like earlier in the day, I had been on Facebook Marketplace, right? And I was looking at used washers. And then I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go to an actual appliance store and look at new ones and kind of compare and contrast and make a decision on what I want to buy. And I walked there and I'm like, whoa, how did they know I was looking at this in some company that I hadn't even been on their website, you know? And it, it is freaky. It's super spooky. I mean, and every time that happens, it's it's. I feel like it's someone walking up with a trench coat Rolex was inside, you know, saying, hey, <laughs> y'all want a whirlpool? <laughs> right. Yeah, is it scratching tin? <laughs> All right, one more question here before we, you know, kind of curb this conversation to an edge, but uh, to an end. But, um, you know, I've, I'm highly fascinated with blockchain uh, and, and, you know, cryptocurrency is a whole other subset of blockchain uh but i want i want to know is, is blockchain affecting you guys with with uh, uh with cybersecurity? are you able to leverage um that technology to help you keep track of stuff it, it, not as of yet um so we, there's uh the, the space we live in is is a little different from from uh, those that would benefit from the blockchain so far um, now, uh, that's not to say that in the very near future we may, uh, you know, move into uh, some spaces that would uh, better benefit from that. But I, I can see some applications where uh, technology of that kind, maybe not necessarily in the iterations we're seeing today, um, but maybe in some future iterations where we could, uh, you know, encapsulate important data uh, within the blockchain. Awesome. Yeah. So some implications maybe down the road, just not. There's there's right a now. lot of considerations yeah. when you deal with a technology like blockchain and, and uh, the way the the chain is quantified mm -hmm. and verified. Those are some there are some very serious considerations to take before you deploy something like that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you jumping on the show today. Uh, Logan, it's been a great talk. I mean, uh, I like talking about technology and sharing stories, and uh, it's been fun, man. Oh yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, love to have uh, be back on if you'll have me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, these types of topics I think are are, not, are in our, in our lifetime will be very important topics for the rest of our lives. Uh, no doubt. You know, and I think it's important to, uh, you know, as a father myself too, you know, educate your children on some of these things, even as young as, you know, five years old. The you onus know, falls on us. Yeah, get them to understand because, uh, you know, it's not going to be very long before the folks that were questioning Mark Zuckerberg and Senate <laughs> who have literally no idea how the Internet works. And, you know, those folks aren't going to be there forever. Uh, and there's going to become a time where our government starts to actually understand and be savvy about the technology, mm -hmm. uh, where it's going, its implications, uh, you know, and maybe at some point the U.S. will catch up to to Europe and deploy some type of a GDPR strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love to see some regulations for the yeah. consumer um, <laughs> that aren't so so slanted towards corporations. There's yeah. definite benefit there. And we got to be careful of this gap we're experiencing where we've got the, you know, the older folks in Congress that don't know how it works. And then we have, you know, our own children that also have no idea how it works. They only know the convenience. Yeah. We are the Rosetta Stone to making sure 100%. that both of these groups are going to know how this works. 
Awesome. Well, hey, uh, all, all the listeners out there listening to the show, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the show today. Uh, you know, I hope we were able to uh, get you to walk away from this episode with some, you know, knowledge on how you can help protect yourself uh, with cybersecurity. And if you have questions about, uh, you know, cybersecurity or you want to, uh, you know, get some info on how uh, SiteLock can help you guys in your in your businesses out or any of that, go to the website SiteLock.com, uh, you know, fill out the form and somebody from their uh, organization will contact you and uh, set up some demos and some different things to kind of walk you through what they can do for you and uh, go check it out. Uh, you guys, if, you, if you're also listening, make sure if you're listening to the podcast on any of the major uh, uh, podcast platforms, give us a nice rating. We always like to see five stars because it's better than four. Uh, you know, so keep that up and go check out the website at findingyourfrequency.net. Uh, I'm Radio Ryan. You can check me out all over uh, the internet at Radio Ryan 1, uh, Jeff Spinney at Jeff Spinney 2. Uh, and of course, Finding uh, Your Frequency can be followed on Twitter at uh, Voice America TRN. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great one. And we'll be back with some more fantastic interviews. 